Welcome to the Unlocked Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Alrighty, Hal, welcome back to episode number 16 of Unblocking Crypto. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about Ethereum and some of the projections and predictions that uh, I uncovered on my end. Before we jump into that, let's talk about some of the news that's happened in the past week. And there's been some pretty cool stuff here lately. So I'll let you start. Okay, sounds good. Um, I think the, the first one for me is Fidelity announced that they're offering uh, a Bitcoin allocation in their 401ks. Um, I like this stuff because it's one, it's Fidelity. So it's one of the major 401k holders. Um, so that means everybody else has got to really start thinking about it. The, um, you know, they did talk about that Bitcoin is, you know, they're kind of concerned that it's a little high risk for a retirement account. Um, so they do cap it as a 20% allocation of your portfolio can go into Bitcoin. So like, to me, that's not unreasonable to cap it at 20% uh, for retirement. Um, but this is, you know, I was trying to figure out how much, how much money Fidelity holds in these 401k um, or investment accounts. And I really couldn't get into the details of exactly what it is, but they have, you know, about $8 trillion in assets under management. Um, so that's, a decent chunk that can be exposed to, to Bitcoin. And I think a lot of people jump into it. And then, you know, what I read is, you know, this is just a response to customer uh, requests. I mean, it's, they're just getting a lot of, you know, we want Bitcoin type of type of stuff. I think the only caveat to all of it that I saw though, was that the employer actually has to activate it. So without the employer's blessing, the clients can't invest in Bitcoin. Yeah, I read that. And, and so when we opened up our 401k uh, for our employees, that's when I had to sign that I was a fiduciary for all of these employees. And that was like, oh, crap. Like, that's a big, it's a, being a fiduciary is a pretty big responsibility, acting in people's best interest and uh, financial best interest. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to sign this. But like, if these guys make a change and I'm not aware of it, I mean, I, you know, how, how hung out to dry am I going to be? So, you know, I, I don't know that big companies are going to feel that because I, I feel like if you work at a big company, you just don't feel the responsibility. But the smaller companies, I could see them having trouble saying, OK, everybody, we're, we're you know, but those two guys that talk to me about Bitcoin, they, they can have it. Uh, everybody else jump in if you want to. Oh, by the way, Bitcoin and then start explaining Bitcoin to people like. I don't know that that's really the, a small employer's job and I, I don't know how many are able to do it, but you know, we'll see, um, you know, the companies that want it will do it. And I think that's kind of a good thing in, in general is like, at least they're not restricted to, from doing something that they want to do that quite frankly, I mean, Bitcoin doesn't seem to be a bad idea anymore. Uh, it seems like maybe people don't understand it, but I mean, we're 13 years deep. You know, it's holding up well in a really weird macroeconomic environment right now. Um, so, uh, I mean, you know, how long does this thing have to keep going and keep appreciating before people are like, oh, maybe this is maybe this asset class is a thing, you know. So uh, for Fidelity to at least open up that door and, and kind of lay down the tracks, um, I think that's good. And then I think it'll make everybody else that's got 401k plans start to have to think about it and look into it. And then, you know, 
for every hundred people that look into it, two, three, five of them are going to be like, oh man, like really understand Bitcoin and really get it and start to put two and two together and realize it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating and it's not going away. So I, I think anything, anything like that where big banking groups are making moves, I think it's good because some of those guys are freaking smart and they'll get, they'll go down the rabbit hole and they'll, they'll be like, Oh yeah, we definitely need to do this. Like this is, this is way better than bonds right now. The, um, the second one for me is kind of on the flip side. Um, the SEC is doubling the size of their crypto assets and cyber unit. That is one of those things where I was like, man, they're going to double the size. Like, holy cow. And like, well, it's, they're not going to have 50 dedicated employees to crypto um, assets. So, you know, I, how much work can 50 government employees do? You know, maybe about as much as 10 private employees, maybe about as many as one person who's in crypto and like uh, developing a, um, their own crypto protocol. So, you know, I, it's still a pretty small piece, but at least it's a message that they're going to start cracking down on some of the nonsense. Because um, I was kind of thinking about this, like, OK, what would I do? Would you go <clears throat> would you start going after like the small, easy ones that'll just, you know, you send them a cease and desist letter and they disappear? Probably not because there's like 10,000 of them. And that's that's a bit much. So, you know, you go after some of the big boys. I mean, they, you know, Ripple and you know some like things like that just to put the other ones on notice so that you don't even have to send a cease and desist. They just know eventually it'll be their turn to get sued. Uh, so they, you know, it'll be like, um, it'll be like the TSA where like, yeah, terrorists just don't try to get on planes because they have to go through a metal detector. Uh, so, you know, you don't have to, you know, go after each individual. Um, and so, you know, I'm not really sure what this is going to do or if it's just a step. Um, again, it's, it's 50 dedicated employees. Uh, so it's not like they can tackle the entire crypto market um, and go after each individual uh, small crypto that's a security and not a property. So that's, um, but it's a move. It's a, it's, I don't know. They put out a press release. It's movement. Like I like to hear, I like, you know, paying attention to what the government does and paying attention to what, you know, people who hold big money are doing to me are like the two most important pieces, um, you know, and I'm still constantly waiting for the SEC to figure out what they're going to do with the Bitcoin spot ETF. Um, Cause that's a, you know, that that's where, that's where the two biggest things merge from. Well, country adoption is big, but big money and government regulation coming together. It, it, like that inflection point is the approval of a Bitcoin spot ETF. So that's why I'm, that's why it's so important for me. That's probably a good lead into some of the news that I saw. So Australia has approved three different crypto spot ETFs. Uh, now they seem to be a little de delayed as they uh, finalize a few things, but that's kind of exciting to see some other countries uh, doing this, the spot ETF, right? That's just yeah. going to put them ahead of everybody else. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, we're up to Canada has it, Brazil. There's some European countries. Mm -hmm. Um Australia now. So it's like, okay, United States, like, yeah. what are you waiting for? Let's get back to leading in innovation and not being a follower, unfortunately. Um, so, so yeah, that's exciting. The other big 
a thing that I saw too is that the first U.S. city, Fort Worth, Texas, is mining Bitcoin um, as a municipality. So that's kind of exciting to see how that's going to turn out. Um, and kind of like you and I have talked about in the past is it could make a lot of sense for these companies to use this excess energy that they're creating to mine Bitcoin and turn it into something profitable for them, right? So um, interested to see if this takes off in other parts of the country as well, but it's you always need that first person to, to make a move. Uh, so that's, that's cool to see. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, it makes other cities have to start paying attention. And I mean, even the ones that aren't into like Miami's, of course, probably already thought about it and things like that. But there's now that there's a bunch of cities in Texas that have to think about it. Exactly. All right. So let's jump into the meat of this conversation, which is Ethereum. And there's a ton of stuff to talk about Ethereum. And I'm going to try to provide a couple of different thoughts on where it stands today and where I think it's going. Uh, of course, this is not financial advice <laughs> and all that good stuff. And, and how feel free to jump in if I misspeak about anything from what your perspective is. But let's just kind of step back a little bit and look at um, Ethereum, where it was started, right? So if you look at, we talked about Bitcoin last week. Bitcoin was started in January of 2009. Ethereum didn't follow for about six and a half years later. Uh, so it's trailing Bitcoin by quite some time. Six and a half years is a very long time in the crypto world. Um, today, it sits at about a $342 billion market cap, uh, which is about half the size of Bitcoin. And it's hovering just short of $3,000, I think somewhere in the $2,800 per coin. Um, there are right now about 120 million-ish Ethereum floating out there which if you compare that to Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin's only, will only ever be 21 million, although they're not there yet, right? I think they're- 19. 19 and change something, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the big thing about Ethereum that's coming up is the, everybody's terming it the triple happening. And it's almost, they're equating it to what a Bitcoin happening looks like and the supply pressure that comes out of all that. So there are a couple of things that are happening to force that. One is now with every transaction uh, on Ethereum, there is a small amount that's burned. And I know we've talked about that before, but when you're taking more Ethereum off the table, every transaction, then it's causing it to be deflationary. Um, the other thing is the block rewards are changing quite a bit. So right now, Ethereum is a proof of work and it's moving to a proof of stake. Uh, so it is going to... Uh, reduce the block rewards by um, a factor of 10. So it goes from about 12,800 um, per day to um, 1,280 per day. And then um, the other thing is the inflation of the tokens. The amount that's created is getting reduced by about a 10x factor too. So it's, it goes from 4.3% to 0.43%. Um, and then Ideally, this new um, Ethereum 2.0 is going to enable a much higher transaction speed too. So right now, um, while Bitcoin is in that seven-ish transactions per second, Ethereum's in the 30-ish, something like that. And now they're going to get be able to get to about 100K 
transactions per second in the future. So it's uh, still a little ways away from that happening, but it, it allows for a lot more traffic to happen on Ethereum. Um, that does not mean that the fees will go down drastically either. So, oh, really? Yeah, that I don't think that's the ultimate end goal for them. I, I think what you'll probably still see is a lot of movement onto the L2s to get rid of the fees, and then they just secure everything on Ethereum. Yeah. So now, will that change? Who knows? But the, the lead developer at Ethereum was saying, don't expect the fees to go down drastically on all of this. That's surprising that they would do all of this. And because, I mean, to me, the Ethereum gas fees are what drove a lot of uh, developers onto other blockchains, like into Binance coin and things like that, and Binance smart chain or whatever. Um, you know, and every, I mean, that's everybody talks about, it, like, oh, I got to spend $200 in gas fees to move $500 around. It's like this, I can do way better if I just use Venmo, you know? Yeah, well, and I think a lot of that will go away once you start looking at the, the Maddox and all the roll-up guys um, yeah. because the fees are almost non-existent. Um, they're just using the Ethereum blockchain as the backbone. Uh, but, I mean, it's still, I think last year they saw the total number of transactions get up to about 15% on the LT, L2 side, which, I mean, is a ton compared to what it was, right? But it's still got a long ways to go. And if you look at all the things like uh, ZK rollups and opt optimistic rollups, I can't say that word. Um, I mean, those are still early on, right? I mean, they're they're three to five years away, I think, before they're really serious stuff, right? So um, it, it's still early, right? Ethereum was even Ethereum 2.0 was delayed, right? It was supposed to happen in June, and now everybody's hoping for a August, September, October timeframe for it to make the switch. Mm -hmm. Um, so last week you talked about a couple of different ways to look at it and I'm going to kind of compare a couple of those. Um, one of the ones that you used was scarcity and kind of talk about the stock to flow. I'm going to address that a little bit differently because there isn't a true stock to fly flow for Ethereum like there's Bitcoin. Um, but I will talk about adoption and the adoption curves and a maturity, um, including what else it could kind of take over. So um, let's start with adoption and stepping back a little bit and looking at the overall crypto side of things is right now the crypto user base is growing at about 113% a year, which is pretty insane. Right? Um, the internet during this same time frame was growing at about 63% a year. So Right, because they had a hardware issue. <clears throat> when the internet, people had to get on computer. People without computers had to buy computers and then figure out the internet. Whereas now with crypto, I mean, everybody's got a mobile phone and everybody's been using a computer since before they, since they were born. So that, yeah, the, uh, the, the adoption of crypto should be faster than uh, internet adoption. Exactly. And so we've, we've talked about the 2030 date and just because we kind of picked that date to look out in the future based on... Um, even at 63% adoption, so less than what it's doing now, we should be hitting about 4 billion users in crypto by 2030, which is about half the world, just under something like that. Yeah, and that's probably right. There's a couple of billion that are going to, you know, they're just not connected. So that's going to be like your last 
you know, it's going to take forever to get to them. If, you know, they're not even really internet users. So that's going to be a while, but yeah, that four, 4 billion is a real, that's kind of, to me, a real top end number. And that's probably, I mean, things move quick, man. So eight years, that's a long time. So you could, you could get to, it's not unreasonable in my head to get to 4 billion in, in that time frame. Yeah. So, and I know I'm going to compare a lot to Bitcoin just because, I mean, I think Bitcoin is king, right? And if you're going to compare to anything, that's what you want to compare to. Um, but if you look at the first five years of Bitcoin and the first five years of Ethereum, um, you can look at the, um, I think the number of wallets it, it was. So Bitcoin had about 25 million in that first five years and Ethereum was about four times the size at the end of the five years. So the the usage for Ethereum is happening a lot more, partly because there's a lot more to do on Ethereum, right? Bitcoin was kind of focused on a, a small subset. Ethereum is a smart contract network that was a distributed computer model that allowed you to almost write any code you wanted to do on top of the Ethereum blockchain. Um, if you look at it today, um, the non-zero wallet balances on Bitcoin are about 37 million wallets. Um, with Ethereum, it is um, right around 60 million. So a little less than 2x. So you're, you're seeing a lot of usage on Ethereum almost more so than, than Bitcoin. Um, but a lot of that is because some of the use cases as well, right? So we can talk about um, um, transaction fees too. If you look at Bitcoin last year, they did about a billion dollars in transaction fees. Ethereum on the other hand was about 9.9 .9 billion. Um, so, I guess almost 10x more there. Um, and we, we talked a little bit about kind of the L2s, the layer twos. I know Bitcoin has Lightning Network and, and that's starting to ramp up quite a bit and we should start seeing a lot more interaction from that in the future. Um, the L2s on Ethereum are very much in kind of the same boat, right? They're just getting started. Um, it's, it's less than 15% of the total transactions are being done on L2s and the fees on L2s, because they're so much cheaper, as soon as people are easily able to, to use that and understand how to do it on there, I expect a lot more of that volume to happen, right? And there was a big push here in the past year of all these L2 guys starting their own project and everybody trying to get involved to hopefully get an airdrop of the tokens because a lot of them don't even have tokens. They're just the, um, the code right now and they're still figuring out it, how it's going to work. Um, Another kind of interesting side note to all of this, a lot of Ethereum is, I feel like, um, benefiting the creator economy, right? So you can talk about NFTs, but music and everything like that as well. If you look at the top creator companies, um, Spotify is one of the big ones, and they gave, I think, about $5 billion back to the creators. YouTube was... Uh, YouTube Music was pretty close to that, at about four billion. Etsy was about uh, four billion as well. Ethereum was number four on the list at three and a half billion. Uh, so that came in ahead of um, companies like OnlyFan, OnlyFans, which was at two billion, um, and Patreon, which is at one billion. Right, so um, pretty large for them to be up there. Uh, the other thing that's kind of interesting is to compare Ethereum because 
they're trying to be in the DeFi space, right? I mean, they are the DeFi leader, decentralized finance for those that don't, don't know what DeFi is. But um, if you look at um, Bitcoin, Bitcoin had about $4.6 trillion of transaction volume last year. Visa, on the other hand, had $10.4 trillion. So a little bit more than, than double that. Ethereum had $11.6 trillion. So even more than what Visa was doing. Hmm. Uh, and if you look at revenue-wise, Visa did $24 billion last year in revenue. We talked about Ethereum doing 9.9. But even like uh, Stripe, they only did 7.4. Right? So it's... Um, Ethereum is, is definitely a very large company out there now. Um, all right, so let's talk a little, a little bit about some of the, the different um, use cases, right? And I'm not going to touch them all, but DeFi is definitely one of the largest ones out there, right? Um, right now, the total value locked on Ethereum is over $153 billion in, on the DeFi side. If you compare that to Bridgewater, which is Ray Dalio's company, he has $140 billion locked in assets. Mm -hmm. uh, and then even like Robinhood, they're only like 80 billion. Right? So um, Ethereum is definitely becoming a player and one of the, the biggest guys out there. Um, the other use case, and these are gonna start to become the ones that Nobody really wants to talk about because they don't understand it, and I barely understand it. But uh, DAOs are growing quite a bit too, right? So decentralized autonomous organizations—they ended up last year getting 16 billion dollars locked in DAOs on Ethereum, um, and and hardly anybody knows what they are, right? <laughs> so yeah, no, to me, they're like companies that are decentralized that just go like. You can't stop them. You can't like control them. Like uh, they're. It's kind of an interesting thing. But I, I, sixteen billion dollars is a significant uh, amount of money. I probably need to pay more attention to DAOs. Oh yeah, considering that. I mean, there's still a lot of question marks on the liability and what happens. And yeah. like you said, it, it, how, it's how pretty much just code, that? right? It it happens you, whether you need somebody there or not. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you don't, the Congress can't summon the CEO of a DAO to come speak at a hearing to, you know, uh, figure out what went wrong. It, there's nobody, there is, there is no CEO. So that's, that's tricky. Yeah. So it's, it's exciting, right? I mean, this is still on the forefront of, of what's happening in crypto. I mean, you're, we, we've said, I think, multiple times in the past that we're all still really early in all of this. <laughs> Um, and that brings me kind of to the next one that is still pretty early in NFTs. And I know we got you into NFTs a couple of months ago at this point. Yeah. But if you look at NFTs in the past less than two years, they've gone from less than a billion dollars worth of value to over $44 billion of value in less than two years. Right? Um, so the growth is happening very quickly. Uh, and the amount of people in NFTs is still just a small fraction, right? There's, there's not many people in there. Even you look at people in crypto, not many are in, are in NFTs. They just, they don't understand it. And I can understand why. So <laughs> it, it's, it's a whole nother issue. Um, so if, if you look at NFTs too, the expectation on that 
is it's growing. It's probably going to grow at about a 40% caker over the next until 2030, which puts that at somewhere around three and a half trillion dollars of value in 2030, um, which is a large amount. And, and right now, 90% of all NFTs are on the Ethereum blockchain. So yeah, that's look, that's a basically using my four and a half percent inflation number. That's basically all of crypto market cap in NFTs in today's dollar. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's a lot. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, but there's you know there's so many th- ways like NFTs. They just seem like you can own an image, but they're they're gonna they're gonna take that to the next level. Like this is just like trying to figure out what they've got, you know, with, with the ability to authenticate and, and have digital scarcity of items like digital, digital assets is a kind of a, uh, they'll, they'll figure out better use cases than pictures that can hang on a wall in a virtual reality museum. Yeah. To me, all the, the, the profile pictures, this is just a test bed, right? So they're proving out the technology and how it works. And then, I mean, I think we've talked about in the past, just even like real estate, right? Getting rid of um, closing or the uh, title attorneys to go research in, uh, real estate. If you can just put that into an NFT that saves people multiple thousands of dollars on every transaction. And the total real estate value out there is what, 320 something trillion dollars? At least, if not more. So, yeah, globally, three twenty-five is what I got. Yeah, so um, ton of potential there. All right, so I'm gonna, I guess I'll look at. Let's start talking about a little bit about, about projections, right? And the way that I looked at it from one perspective was based on the Ethereum dominance, right? So you kind of gave some projections on Bitcoin. Um, last year and what kind of the market or last week and what the market cap would look like. Uh, so what I look at it as is Ethereum uh, as on a low end is gets down to about seven, seven and a half percent of the market dominance on the high end. It's uh, closer to about 26%, but it has spent a lot of time in that 16 to 20% range as far as dominance. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, what I believe, and and maybe before I jump into those numbers, let's talk about what the total market cap could look like and what Ethereum could somewhat take over, because that then we can take those market caps and kind of turn it into what the prices are for a lot of those. Um, just remember, 7.5%, call it 18%, and 26%, right, is dominant. Right. Okay. Um, so... We talked about NFTs a second ago. That's an easy one to talk about, right? If there's three and a half trillion um, in 2030 and Ethereum still has 90%, that's that's just over $3 trillion. Um, with decentralized finance, there's a ton of money to go after there. Uh, just consumer banking is, is I think, $2.3 trillion right now. Um, I used 5% of that for them to go after, which is... I think a small piece. Um, insurance is another six trillion. I used five percent of that, and then um, equities um, is about a hundred trillion dollar market, um, and I used two percent of that. Right. So 
from a from a banking slash equities perspective, there's just under two and a half trillion of market cap there. Um, real estate, three hundred twenty-five trillion. You mentioned um, if NFTs or some version of Ethereum can help tokenize some of that separately, then one uh, percent of that is just over three trillion dollars, um, and then derivatives right um we've talked about derivatives in the past that's one quadrillion dollars <laughs> um so one percent of that is 10 trillion right so i am optimistic that that has to go to a blockchain of some sort and um some of these layer twos make a lot of sense especially the zero knowledge and things like that, because it could happen very quickly and without having to know everything um, upfront. So that all said, puts us in around an 18 to $19 trillion market cap in 2030. Um, I'm not including any of the M2 money supply. I, I know, I think Bitcoin could take a cut of some of that. Um, I still think Ethereum possibly could too, just because with their triple happening, they make it very interesting because now they become a true deflationary asset where they're losing about 2% a year of their tokens. Um, so some people might trust that, right? And not, not everybody, but that's still, I mean, even if it's $123 trillion um, chunk to go after, a couple percent of that is a few trillion dollars, right? So um, at, at 18, 19 trillion dollars, um, things become uh, pretty interesting, right? Um, if you look at it in 2030, that 18 trillion dollars puts the Ethereum price somewhere around $160,000 per token. That doesn't include the inflation, right? So you could argue that with your four and a half percent, you're almost doubling that number, right? Right, in terms of spending power. Um, I think there is potential uh, for the growth of crypto um, to the market cap overall to be much higher than than that. So if, if you're doing $18 trillion and we were talking about an 18% um, average dominance, that's putting the total crypto space at um, just around $100 trillion overall, right? Is that math working out about five days? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because you're saying around 18% market yeah. dominance yeah. and 18 trillion. So yeah, that's easy enough. Yeah. And so if you look at the number of users, kind of going back to that, um, 4 billion users is about a 200x increase um, from today in users. So even if you had a 100x increase in the crypto market cap, that puts it at close to 174 trillion, right? So um, you're you're getting close to almost doubling kind of the number that I'm somewhat looking at that 
Ethereum could take over from a dominance perspective. So if you start looking at um, kind of the way out, way far side of what, what could happen, right? You have this close to $200 trillion market cap. Um, you have mid 20s in dominance. Um, you start talking about what 45-ish um, market cap for Ethereum, which puts Ethereum somewhere in that 420-ish thousand dollars per token. If you go the opposite and kind of look at the, the low end, Ethereum is probably in the 10 to 13 trillion dollar of market cap, which puts it closer to about 120k per Ethereum. So okay. So to to in a round, so I I would maybe take issue with a little bit of some of the numbers, like taking that much of the value of real estate. I'm not sure I followed how you could do that by handling the smart contract side of real estate. Like the value of property isn't in the transaction so much. So, but to me, because you're saying, well, it could be in between you know, a wide range of percentages from market cap, I think that those things get washed out. So like for people listening, like, oh man, no way is it going to take X percent of the equities, like he said, or Y percent of the, um, the you know, insurance or whatever. So, uh, but the, from a percentage standpoint and the ranges, because yeah, when you said, so, you know, you're, I think what I read was your base case is being 18 trillion in market cap that puts you about 160,000 per ETH. Correct. That out while you were talking, I was kind of sketching numbers that puts Bitcoin with a 40% market cap at about 2 million of Bitcoin, which isn't out of possible, you know, that's not out of the range that we talked about last week. So yep. that kind of, you know, that, that doesn't not jive with how we got to the numbers last week, which was really through a very different uh, way to get there. So, so yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, we're just like speculating on where things could go and they, we speculated where they go fairly similarly. So that maybe that's not so bad. Yeah. So to go back to your real estate comment, um, how real estate could get that much. I mean, you, there's a couple of companies out there that have tokenized real estate and they've done a couple billion dollars with the real estate. Right. And this is still pretty early on. So my hope is that continues and whether that turns into apartment buildings or commercial real estate or whatever it is. Um, being able to tokenize that in the future is, I think, makes sense, <laughs> right? There's there are a couple of companies out there that are trying to tokenize mortgages as well, which you could argue maybe falls under the DeFi side more than um, the true real estate side of things. But if you're going to talk about tokenizing real estate to eliminate the need for um, attorneys to do title insurance, then, I mean, that's turning into some sort of tokenization of real estate, right? Okay. So, yeah, well, I, like I said, I, there's no reason for me to kind of argue it because that's a side of things I don't understand very well. But I was just kind of giving the listeners a reason to be like, okay, well, maybe it's not, maybe it's not that percent. Maybe he's off by that. But by giving a range of a high, medium, and low, that stuff will get washed out. Like you might be off to the low side on one of these asset classes and off to the high side on another and it all works out. So, um, so yeah, that's, um, you know, it's funny today. I was like, you know, I really don't care too much about Ethereum. Like 
I don't track it, follow it, read about stuff. Um, you know, it, it pops up from time to time. I listen to a podcast with Vitalik uh, on Naval Ravikant's podcast. And every time I listen to him speak, I'm like, man, I need to sell my Ethereum. Like, he, <laughs> like if he's the CEO-ish, you know, the closest thing that they have to a leader, I'm like, man, I know he's smart, but he doesn't, like, he's just not my kind of guy. And, uh, and so I'm like, man, I need to sell. But I was like, but if the gas fees aren't going to go down, if you holding Ethereum has more value because people, you know, people aren't going to pay that much to move it around or acquire more. Like you're as people come in uh, to crypto and Ethereum, you know, they're going to look at Ethereum and try to buy it. They're going to get sticker shock on the transaction fee and go to something else or go to layer twos. So it's, it's kind of like Bitcoin holding big holding the Bitcoin asset as they build out the layer twos, your Bitcoin base layer asset becomes more valuable. It feels similar. And with SEC doubling the size of their crypto asset group, you know, if they try to take down Ethereum, you know, do I want to be in Ethereum? But it's like, man, I'll just keep holding. Like, those numbers are really good. And it, I always viewed Ethereum like Bitcoin is trying to take on money to make it super duper simple. And Ethereum feels like it's trying to take on just software protocols like or, or contracts right anything where two parties are trying to agree on something which is you know money and contracts are very large uh like half abstract things that go on in society that are hugely valuable so like i think i'm just going to sit on my ethereum <laughs> i got just going to hold on to it well, yeah, I mean, Ethereum is a distributed computer network, right? And because it's decentralized, um, it's the same thing as Bitcoin. You can't really shut it down. Um, right. the, the good news is Vitalik doesn't control Ethereum. He might be the voice of it, but yeah. um, he can't actually change anything on his own. It has to get voted on by everybody else. So same, same thing as Bitcoin, right? So it has to have a majority. Now, usually because he is a smart guy, Granted, no one wants to hear him talk, but he does usually know what he's talking about a lot of times, right? So um, he has been at least pointing people in the right direction uh, most of the time, right? So I don't think anybody's out there is perfect, but he's done a good job. And hence why a lot of the other Ethereum founders have left and kind of done their own thing to compete against, compete against Ethereum, right? So the, the founder of Cardano, the founder of Polkadot, they were both originally Ethereum founders, and now they are uh, creating two of the biggest competitors to the Ethereum network. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at just the total value locked in those versus Ethereum, it doesn't compare, right? So they both have a long ways to go, uh, but I don't see why multiple chains can't all be successful in this space too, especially if you're talking about total market cap of crypto is going to be multiple hundreds of tr trillions of dollars. I don't yeah, know if you're going to trust one to do all of that anyways. <laughs> well, and it's kind of like an open sourced um, software where the one that's going to win is the one that people like to use, right? Or, or the one that merchants like to use or whichever category. The one the one insurance companies like to use is going to win for insurance. You know, it, it, like it, open source you can, anybody can make anything essentially. And 
you know, you don't have to ask permission uh, and get, you know, you don't have to fill out paperwork and get an approval to be an Ethereum, to use Ethereum as your, the backbone of your software, right? So as time goes on, more and more, you have more and more chances of people building things that are valuable and useful. And that group also being able to market it successfully and make it work right and, and grow it. So, yeah, I mean, like there's a, these, these open source protocols or quasi open source protocols, whatever are, they're pretty neat because it's like, you just let them go. You just let them go out into the world and people are like, Oh, I can, they, they slowly understand them. Oh, I can use this for this problem that I have. And then other people have that same problem. It helps them with theirs. And next thing you know, it's, you know, it's off to the races. Yeah. So I think from a, a big picture, the way that I look at this is that I, my prediction is Ethereum is going to somewhere between do a 40 X to 150 X by 2030. Right. Um, even if I'm doubling that, I mean, that's still 20 X to 75 X, which right. there are not many places that you can go get anywhere near 20 X in the next eight years. Right. So kind of going back to putting a certain percentage of crypto into your asset allocation is I mean, the risk might be worth it for a lot of people. Right. Right. No, I mean, I, I, I feel like zero is the wrong number. And yeah, I mean, 1% becomes 20%, in, you know, in eight years of your net worth, if everything else, you know, kind of trickles along, like yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. So Really interesting stuff. I mean, I think there's a lot more to talk about Ethereum, but it, it starts to get really confusing because Ethereum does so much. And I, what I didn't talk at all about was gaming. And that's another space that I think may drive the adoption of crypto faster than almost anything else. Yeah. Um, but and I think I'm one of the guys that's just too old to really get it. Uh, but it, like everything I read is the same boat. Like gaming is going to lead the way for use cases. And I'm like, I'm just, I mean, I've got a nine-year-old and like, he's just not to a point where I would, you know, I, I talk about Bitcoin and, you know, equities and gold and bonds markets and real estate markets. And it's like, all right, I'll give you $5. You want $5 to play this game for, in, you know, convert to in-game cash. Here's five bucks. It's like, that's, I don't know. To me, it's going to take a long time to build up that much money, but then you look at the numbers on these gaming companies and they make a ton of money, a ton of money. Like Fortnite makes a fortune and that one's like not even cool anymore. So the next new one is the, you know, the cool one. So, yeah, well, Axie infinity had tremendous growth last year. Right. And most of these games are really simple, right? These games are going to take typically three to five years to create. So now that you're starting to see a ton of investment in the gaming, we're going to start to see that come out the other end and, in three plus years. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah, I agree with you I, that this is not my forte. And I mean, my gaming was back in like Nintendo back in the day and a few other things after that. Um, but most of the gaming they're doing is way more complicated. And shoot, my brother told me that when he was a teenager playing games back in the day, they were getting married online to other people in other parts of the country and through their game right i'm just like what is going on i don't understand that at all no i was playing goldeneye in my buddy's basement <laughs> exactly mario kart 
<laughs> yeah. So. Well, yeah. No, I appreciate you putting all that together. Uh, Ethereum's one that I'm not. I, I'm just not as deep into it. So I think that's going to be helpful. Yeah. Well, hopefully this was helpful to everybody else. And um, maybe we'll try this with a few other coins in the near future as well, just to kind of get a comparison and see where we think things are going to go. Because there's a handful of other coins that I'm a fan of. And um, while I've done research on a lot of these before, this was kind of helpful to put it all together into a short summary and remind myself that, oh, yeah, this is why <laughs> I'm buying these. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I appreciate you putting in all the time and, and uh, putting that together for us, Jason. Yep. Thanks for joining Hal. We'll talk next week. Sounds good. Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group, Unblocking Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.